Let's go on ahead and get into the message. You know, it's part two of the series, Return of the Gods. And this is going to be, uh, well, it should be uh, part 1B, the Balaam. And open up your Bibles if you have them to the uh, <clears throat> scriptures or just follow them along there with the <clears throat> PowerPoint presentation. Okay, reading from Matthew chapter 12, verses 30, I'm sorry, 43 through 45. Jesus told a little parable here. He said, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And he goes, when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it be with this wicked generation. Also Romans chapter 1 verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress Suppress there means hold down the truth in unrighteousness. And finally, Revelation chapter 20 and the first part of verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Father, as we continue on with this uh, mini-series, Lord, about the return of the gods, Lord God, we, I just see so much that is happening in this world today, Lord, how people have suppressed your truth, Lord God, and striven to eradicate you from this nation and this culture. And I pray, Lord God, that you would just enlighten our eyes, Lord, help us to awaken to what is going on, because we know that things are not right, and things have just been getting worse and worse in this country, as we have been trying to get rid of you in our society. So, Lord, I pray that you just enlighten our eyes, and Lord, help us to realize that we can make a difference, Lord God, because we can pray for revival, and we know that revival is the the only possible hope that we have, Lord, of turning things around in this country. And I pray that it is not too late now. So, Lord, I pray that you just take this message and bless it. Uh, Lord, uh, give us ears to hear what your spirit would be saying to this church. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week I started a mini-series entitled Return of the Gods, and it's based upon the book The Return of the Gods by Jonathan Kahn, and if uh, you, you know, don't have the book or you don't want to procure it, you can find out the gist of what Jonathan Kahn is talking about by going out. If you've got the internet, you can go out to YouTube and just type in the key words, Jonathan Kahn. Return of the Gods and James Dobson because there's an interview by James Dobson's uh, uh, with James Dobson and his ministry. You know, James Dobson should be no stranger to people because he's had a tremendous ministry, you know, encouraging and strengthening up families. And so he thought it, uh, uh, you know, what Jonathan Kahn had to say about in this book, important enough to uh, devote two of his programs. So, you know, I, uh, I've got a YouTube downloader, so I got both of the uh, messages. Uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, now, this whole thing builds upon the uh, uh, special message that I gave you three months ago, just before the midterm elections. And I stated uh, in that message that the far left in our country is preaching a new religion, which is really a polytheistic religion. You know, you've got uh, people such as Ron DeSantis talking about this, uh, you know, climate change. And, you know, the people there, the far left, treat it like it's a uh, religion. Well, he, he's right, but he's only partially right, because that's not the only God that they worship at. 
As I mentioned, it's a polytheistic religion. That is, many gods. And I listed some of the gods in the far-left uh, pantheon. And I said, uh, for want of a better word to describe this new religion, I just call it wokeism and include all the things that they believe under this umbrella. It includes indoctrination of our children. And you know what? This is a Marxist tactic. That's what Karl Marx and, uh, uh, of course, all the uh, uh, communist leaders, you know, from uh, Lenin, Stalin, and Mao, they all tried to indoctrinate our children. They're trying to brainwash our children. They figure if they can get the next, you know, uh, generation of people, that they can uh, maintain their power. That's another part there is socialism or, uh, and uh, communism. You know, I, I heard an interesting definition of the difference between socialism and communism. Socialism, they said, is things that are, are voted into office. And communism, they uh, take control by the, at the barrel of a gun. And that's one way to look at it because they're really the same economic system. Okay? There's this equity that they're talking about. It's not meritocracy. You know, this nation was founded on meritocracy. You know, you rise to the top on your own merits. You know, you're not just given it because of some, you know, nebulous thing like maybe your skin color or sexual orientation. Everything should be on meritocracy. And when you think about it, how many of you would like to uh, be, you know, operated on by a heart surgeon that was only there because of the color of his skin. That's what's happening right now in, you know, our society. People are just being put into these positions. Or if you, you fly a plane, you know, and a lot of you have never uh, flown on a plane. But how would you like to be, uh, you know, have a pilot there who's only there because of the, the color of his or her skin or sexual orientation? It makes no sense. And critical race theory, of course, that divides people up, I've mentioned this before, into oppressors and people that are oppressed. And so usually white people are the ones that are described as the oppressors. You know, that's another Marxist tactic too there, is they're dividing us. Yes. You ever heard that expression, divide and conquer? That's exactly what they're doing. Now Marx said that he, uh, he thought the division would be on the class of people, the upper class and the lower class. He thought that's how, what would spark the revolution. But now what they're doing is they're trying to divide people on the basis of race and sexual orientation. You got climate change with its accompanying Green New Deal. I'm going to cover that a little bit later. Foreign policy, you know, with the enemies of the United States, they're appeasing our enemies. And that includes China. And when I say China, brothers and sisters, I don't mean the Chinese people. The Chinese people have uh, suffered as much as anybody under the repressive government that they have. I'm talking about the Chinese Communist Party. Yes. They, are hell, uh, they are just bent you know, on uh, overtaking us as the dominant superpower of the land. And of course, uh, Iran and North Korea, you know, the current administration is trying to appease these people. You don't gain anything by appeasement. You look back to before World War II started, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, a man by the name of Neville Chamberlain, thought he could appease the Nazis. And so he let them take over what he thought was only going to be a part of Czechoslovakia, the Sudetenland, which was dominated by uh, Germanic people. And instead, Hitler went on ahead and took the whole country. And he didn't stop there. He went into Poland. And then we had World War II. You cannot appease these people because they are, you know, desire nothing more than world domination. Okay, uh, Heather. Gods of the wokeism, abortion, the LGBTQ agenda, which is spawned now into radical gender ideology, open borders, 
suppression of U.S. history. They've got the cancel culture now. They want to cancel me because I dare to speak out against it and defend the police. There's many other, you know, gods in this wokeism too. This is just the highlights that I've covered before. Okay, so this is part 1B, the second half of the uh, first god there. And I've entitled it the Baleen. Okay, now what is meant by Baleen? Okay, it comes from the Canaanite god Baal, right? But Baal was just one of the gods that the Canaanite people worshipped at the time. And this is, he, uh, Khan only really covers three of these Canaanite gods. He, can, he covers Baal, he covers Ashtoreth, which, who was the goddess of sex and uh, violence, and he covers Moloch, who was the god of uh, human sacrifice, in particular child sacrifice. These are all being worshipped today. They've made their revival. So, Balaam denotes the gods of the Canaanite pantheon. Baal is merely the chief god of this. And there's many others. And like I said, Khan only deals with those three, Baal, Ashtoreth, and Moloch. Uh, <clears throat> the last two weeks of this series, I'm going to cover uh, Ashtoreth and finally Moloch. Now, there's two primary things to know about Baal that we covered last week. Number one, to worship him meant the eventual suppression of the worship of Yahweh there in the promised land, the Hebrew God. And it's especially kind of reached its zenith under wicked King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. You read about this in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. And it says there that Queen Jezebel, you know, she killed every prophet of Jehovah, uh, of the Lord, that she could get her hands on. And second of all, Baal was also the god of the natural world, that is the sky, the earth, the weather. And therefore he was the one who sent the rains which watered the crops and prospered the nations. So Baal became the god of prosperity. Now if you want to prosper and get ahead in that world, you worship Baal. Now the Baal idols took many forms, but one of the primary ones pictured him with a bull's head. Like I said, I, 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 in preparation for this, I went out and I wanted pictures of Baal, specifically, of course, the, the Baal idols that they worshipped, and probably about half of them had a bull's head. Uh, now, what that uh, was significant about that also, what happened when the children of Israel were in the wilderness? Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. Anyway, he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights and everybody thought he was dead. So what did they do? They built an idol. And what did this idol have? A bull, yeah, the golden calf. It was a bull calf. And then later on, after uh, Israel split into two kin kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, King Jeroboam, the first of the uh, northern kingdom uh, kings, what did he do? He didn't want his people going down south there and worshiping Yahweh at the temple. So what did he do? He made two calves. Same thing. Put one in the south, you know, at Bethel, and went up in, at the north in, uh, in uh, Dan. And he said, oh, you guys don't have to go down there and worship Jehovah. You can worship my uh, golden idols. Once again, they were golden calves. Okay, so they were in effect worshiping Baal with these calves. Now when we talk about idolatry, remember that idolatry is more than just a hunk of uh, metal or a stone or wood. Paul wrote to his constituents there in uh, uh, Corinthians, he said, flee from idolatry. And then what he explains why you flee from idolatry, he says in verse 19 of uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, what am I saying then? 
that an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is anything. Rather, the things that the Gentiles sacrifice, they, when they sacrifice to these idols, they sacrifice to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. Okay? So, you're not worshiping the idol itself. You're worshiping the demonic spirit that is behind the idol. And that's why it's so dangerous. Because instead of communing with God in prayer and His Word, you're communing with the spirit behind that idol. Okay, so... Into this Greco-Roman world, once the church started, and by the way, Baal worship, Baal morphed into uh, other gods in the Greco-Roman world. Remember, Baal was the chief god. So who was the chief god in the Greco-Roman world? Well, the Greeks worshipped Zeus, right? And the Romans called him Jupiter. It was still the same god, the same spirit behind that. Okay, so the gospel of Jesus Christ was thrust into this Greco-Roman world full of its idolatry in the first century. And within three centuries, the church got stronger and stronger. And by and large, it had exercised Baal and his pantheon with all of their ungodly practices. And this led Western civilization to largely ascribe to the Judeo-Christian ethic and world view. That was true for maybe the next almost 18 centuries after that. But the problem today, and this is one of the central things that Khan is trying to bring out in the book, is that the opposite has happened now. We have gradually gotten rid of God in our first in our schools, you know. And this this started, you know, long before 1962 when we banned uh, prayer and Bible study in our schools. It was happening even before people were turning away, and uh, that's why you had the rise of Karl Marx later in the. Uh, 20th century, you had the rise of fascism and Nazism. That's because they had largely exercised, you know, a worship of the Lord from that. And it just continues to go more and more downhill. Now, Khan uses, and he quotes that little parable that I read in the beginning. I'll read it again here. Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes to dry places seeking rest. Okay, that's the spirit. Of, he, he applies that and says that that's like the spirit of Baal was exercised out of Western civilization. And he finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. Okay, we got rid of God. Now what's happened? When he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order, okay? Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Now, you know, you read that, and you think that Jesus is just talking about a demon-possessed man being exercised, and then he he doesn't uh, he, he he doesn't worship God, so the spirit comes back into him. But Jesus concluded that with the key sentence there: "So shall it be with this wicked generation." Jesus was talking about the generation of the Jewish people of his day, and. The people had forsaken, by and large, the true worship of the Lord, which is that personal relationship, and replaced it with all of their uh, religious beliefs, you know, their rituals, and, you know, all these different laws that they would use to oppress people. And he said, this is what's happening, you know, you know the true worship of Jehovah God has been denied to people. And now, you know, 
especially right after they rejected him, they crucified him, and because they refused to accept the new faith, the Christian faith, the belief that Jesus had died there on the cross for their sins, they said that just opens up the floodgates and anything goes. So he says, this is what's going to happen to this wicked generation. Okay, and Khan's point is that's exactly what's happened today in the Western civilization. And when I say Western civilization, I'm talking about what's happening here and in Canada and also in Europe. I mean, the you know, you go to the churches there, the beautiful, these beautiful cathedrals that they spend so much money in building. And you know what? They are empty. And you know who's taken over? A lot of them are being converted into mosques. Now that Judeo-Christian ethic is maybe stronger, you know, down in uh, Latin America, but the same thing is going to happen to them as well. Christianity is in decline, brothers and sisters. As mentioned before, God is being forced out of our society. 1962, they had two landmark Decisions passed down by the uh, uh, Supreme Court, instigated by a very, you know, modern-day Jezebel and Madeline Murray O'Hare, and she didn't like her children being educated, you know, by reading the Bible and praying. So she got the, the Supreme Court to side with her. Then in 1980, they got rid of the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> in our educational institutions too. So it's an outright rejection of God and an outright rejection of His laws as well, the Judeo-Christian ethic. And it went on up to the universities. I told you before, you know, when I was a freshman at uh, the University of California at San Diego back in 1969, the... Uh, People, the professors to the left of center outnumbered the ones to the right of center by about three to two. Then by the turn of the century, the turn of the 21st century, it ballooned up to five to one, and now it's 15 to one. And if you want to espouse, you know, and talk about uh, uh, the uh, <clears throat> conservative viewpoint, you can't do that almost in, in campuses. You know, they will shout you down, and even worse, they'll run you out of the university. Okay, so God has been forced out. Now, I ended up last week by uh, giving you... Uh, oh, um, sorry about that. I got a slide ahead here. Uh, the result of forcing out, you know, and we can force God out of our own personal lives, too. Okay? That's what happens with a lot of people. Result of uh, doing that on an individual basis, you know, uh, there's a sense of aimlessness and lack of purpose in people's lives, feeling of hopelessness, and that's particularly uh, among young people who really haven't had much of an education in the ways of God. And the suicide rate is skyrocketing among our young people today. You know, they feel like there's no point in uh, uh, living. It's like they're existing, you know, like a rock or something like that. They're not really living. They're just existing. They're just there uh, for the ride. Second of all, your life ceases to have value in your own eyes. You cease to realize that there is a God in heaven that loves you dearly. He loves you far more than we can ever comprehend. He's there, and He wants you to come to Him, and so He can give you meaning and purpose to His life. Number three, when you remove God from your life, you also remove your accountability. And I'm going to talk a lot about accountability in a little while. And this just opens up the floodgates of sin in your life, you think you can do your own thing, as you know, my generation used to say, and anything goes, and you don't have to be accountable to anyone. <clears throat> and that's what the, the people there on the left really want. 
They don't want to be judged for their sins. They want to do whatever they want and not have to worry about being judged. And fourthly, if you remove God, you become a God to yourself. You become your own God. That was the first temptation, right? Well, actually, the first temptation, as I mentioned last week, was not, you know, what Satan threw out of, uh, you know, partaking of the first fruit. The first uh, temptation was, has God said? Did God say that? Did he really say that? Okay. And then he said, you will be as gods. So man in his sin and rebellion seeks to turn around Genesis 1.27. Genesis 1.27 says, In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. That's another thing the left denies now. They don't even distinguish between, they're trying to get rid of this distinction of male and female. Okay, so we're made in the image of God. These people that want to be gods, they turn that right around. And they say, I want to make God in my image. Amen? Isn't that what they're doing? They want to be God themselves. Okay, now that's on an individual basis. Okay, what's happening in our modern day American society and by extension the entire Western civilization is we have removed God from our society and since nature abhors a vacuum, you know you pump <clears throat> the air out of a uh, vacuum jar what happens? The air wants to come rushing back in you remove God from our American society, what comes in? That spirit of Baal it's a return of those pagan gods. And you know, this was predicted by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1. I've talked about this before to you. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress, and as I mentioned, that means hold down the truth in unrighteousness. And I don't have time to go through the rest of uh, Romans 1 there. You can read it. Verses uh, <clears throat> 19 through uh, 32. You have the three distinctive stages of Gentile world <clears throat> degradation. Starts out with idolatry. Verses 19 through 21. America too has its idols. And we're going to get into those in just a few minutes. Remember, these idols are not just, you know, images of wood, stone, and metal. There are other idols that we keep in our lives. Number two, rampant sexual immorality. As I mentioned, this is the worship of Ashtoreth. You know, things are happening today that were completely unheard of even 20 years ago. We've gone that far downhill. You know, when gay marriage was passed, and when was it? I think in 2009, 2010, something like that. I said immediately, they're not going to stop there. And they have not stopped. You know, we started all this radical gender ideology. And now men think that they can become women, and women think that they can become men, and they can go into the bathroom of their choice. James Dobson was talking, I, I read something he, he wrote about that, and he says, have we gone absolutely crazy? That's what's happened. Number three, God gives them over to a reprobate mind. And I told you, David Wilkerson gave me, uh, uh, gave I think the clearest definition of what a reprobate mind is, or, you know, as it reads in the New King James, I think, to, uh, totally depraved. He said a reprobate mind is a mind that is totally sold out to a lie. And I was thinking, you know, I talked about Jezebel last week, 
You know, Jezebel is a classic example of uh, someone with a reprobate mind. She believed in Baal. She instituted this Baal worship there in the northern kingdom. Okay? And what was Baal? He was the god of prosperity. He was the god of the rains. And so, Elijah shows up at Ahab's doorstep and he says, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, there shall be no rain in Israel again until I give the word. And then it says that for three and a half years, there was no rain. Oh, I thought that Baal was the god of the rain. So, I mentioned this to you last week. God was judging Baal there. He was showing that Baal was a false god. Then three years, three and a half years later, you know, uh, Elijah makes his appearance before uh, King Ahab. And he says, well, you know, what we'll do is we'll have a test. You know, we'll, you know, I will have my own sacrifice and the prophets of Baal 450 of them, another 400 of Ashtoreth, will set out sacrifices. So it's 850 to, uh, against one. And, you know, you guys call down Baal to send fire, you know, because remember, Baal's the god of the natural world, so he's also the god of fire, right? He says, okay, the one who answers by fire, he is God. And so the prophets of Baal spend a half day, you know, dancing around, cutting themselves. Oh, Baal, send the fire. No fire. And then, you know, Elijah says, okay, you guys have had your turn. I'm going to have mine now. And he just, he, he even poured water all over the sacrifice. And the Lord God sent down the fire. So Jezebel sees all this stuff. He can see, she can see that Baal's a false god. He couldn't send the rain for three years. And then he couldn't answer by fire. So he was a false god. So what does uh, uh, Jezebel does? He says, oh, you're right, uh, you know, Elijah. I'm going to worship God now. No. She goes out and says, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. You know, may the gods do more to me. You know, the same to me, and even more if I don't make your life just like those prophets of Baal who uh, uh, got killed by um, Elijah and the, uh, the rest of the people. He says, that's going to happen to you, you know, uh, <clears throat> uh, Elijah. A reprobate mind. A mind totally sold out to a lie. Now, um... There are a number of Baal-type idols in modern America. First of all, we're worshiping prosperity, right? Remember I was talking about how Baal had a bull's head? What's the symbol of prosperity? You go in front of uh, Wall Street, they've got an image of a bull there. And we talk about a bull market. We want a bull market. We don't want a bear market. You know, we want the bull market where stock market goes up and we all get lots of money. Okay? So, and you know, I was thinking too, I don't agree with the health and wealth gospel. You know, the, be, the prosperity gospel. You know, I think that God would like us to prosper, but a lot of us can't handle it. And if you uh, adhere to this prosperity gospel, then you're adhering to that same spirit that's behind it. Number two is socialism and communism. It's claimed to institute these forms of government and economic systems. It's going to level the playing field. Everybody's going to be the same. We're all going to have, you know, uh, prosper. And, you know, that's a complete and total lie. Communism and socialism never gets rid of the class distinction. And the ones that are propagating this in Washington right now, they have got millions and millions of dollars. While the rest of us are here, you know, suffering, trying to get money to put gas in our vehicles and food on our table, 
Well, those people are just there. So communism and socialism don't get rid of the class distinctions. You look no further than North Korea. You know, North Korea back in the mid-90s, they had a famine and perhaps as many as two million people died. And all the while, the people there in the communist uh, party, especially the ones, you know, the, the leaders there, you know, they built all these big palaces and the rest of the people are all starving. A lot of good that communist system did for them. And so the people that are propagating this lie are some of the wealthiest people in the land. For example, George Soros, the current president, former Speaker of the House, even Senate Minority Leader, Mitch McConnell. You know what? Mitch, Mitch McConnell is married to a Chinese woman. And they own a Chinese shipping company. So they're rolling in the dough. And Mitch McConnell turns around and how many of you remember the last midterm election? We had a uh, Senate candidate named Blake Masters, very conservative, and Mitch McConnell refused to give him the money that he needed to try to win the Senate election. Right. So this is what's happening here. Mitch McConnell, because he's you know getting so much money and he doesn't dare go against the uh, uh, communist, Chinese Communist Party because then they're going to end his shipping business. And so who suffered? The American people. Okay. Now, they, let's get one thing straight, brothers and sisters. There are always going to be poor among us. And no less than Jesus Christ told that. You know, when, when uh, you know, I'm kind of, uh, uh, you know, with his uh, time running down, he just had a, only a day or two, something like that. And that woman comes in, you know, it was probably Mary of Bethany. And she pour, breaks open this jar of a expensive perfume and pours it all over his feet. And Judas pipes up, why wasn't that, you know, perfume sold? And the money given to the poor is at least 300 denarii. And you know what Jesus said? He said, let her alone. She's done a good thing for me. She, then he said, what did he say? He said, you're always going to have the poor with you. And anytime you want, you can do whatever you want to help them. But she's done this to anoint my body for burial. Jesus said, the poor are always going to be with you. There's always going to be haves and haves nots. You can't get rid of it. You know why? Because of this fallen society that we live in. There's always going to be injustices out there. Not until Jesus comes and sets up his millennial kingdom will we finally get rid of that. Okay. Uh, what the? Okay, Anita kind of move along here. You have the state. The government becomes the state. That's a corollary to uh, communism and socialism. You know, there in China and North Korea, they're having you put out pictures of uh, President Xi and Kim Jong-il. And if you got a uh, picture of Jesus, they take that out and put in the uh, images of the, their uh, leaders. You know, Ronald Reagan once gave that, uh, you know, famous quote. He said, the top nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. <laughs> and the more help that the government gives you, the more the control they get over your uh, life. For example, with the uh, uh, private and charter schools. You know, maybe the private and charter schools, they're struggling. And the government comes by, okay, uh, we're going to help you, you know, so you survive. But you've got to do this. You've got to teach critical race theory. You've got to teach this radical gender ideology. You've got to teach this green energy, okay? We're going to put those controls over. The more help you get from the government, the more control they have over you. 
Then we got the Green New Deal. This is back to socialism again. You know, uh, AOC, how many know who AOC is? You know, AOC, you know, her chief of staff even said, you know, this whole Green New Deal, uh, what, what's behind that is it's a convenient way for us to implement, you know, uh, socialism. They did the same thing with COVID too, right? Oh, yeah. COVID. Yeah, they're forcing people to take the vaccine. You can get fired from your job. That's all socialism. The more the, the government wants, you know, control the government wants to have over you. And the problem is this Green New Deal will not work because the technology is not uh, there yet. What happens with electric cars in cold weather like this? You know, the, the batteries don't work. Or they, they do work, but they, they, the, the range is very limited. You know, many of you go out there to the res. Can you imagine trying to make that trip in an electric car? Or who are you going to you know, charge it up? Okay, well, you know, they say, well, you know, we're going to make it available. Well, it's not there yet, so stop forcing us. Solar panels and, wind, and windmills, the refuse from that. You know, that's hazardous waste. Solar panel uh, is used up. What do you do with it? Throw it in the landfill? That's hazardous waste. What about the windmills? Those big, huge, you know. You know, you know those take up a lot of room, too. And they use slave labor to bind the metals that they use to make the car batteries. Yeah, this is happening in Zaire and also uh, uh, Afri black African uh, countries. And it's the young people that are being forced to mine these things. And it pollutes their environment. I thought that uh, the left was against slave labor. Well, the only slave labor they care about, it seems like, is what happened in this country over 150 years ago. They don't care about, and the same thing is going on in China with the uh, Uyghurs. And chi finally, China is the beneficiary. They're going to control the market. And they're going to put us under their thumb. You've got to look at all these things, brothers and sisters. Okay, finally, final veil idol, pantheism. The creature and the creator are the same. All is God and we're all God. They talk about Mother Earth, right? They're worshiping Mother Earth. Romans 1.25 talks about they worship the creature rather than creator. And that's increasing here today. Eastern religions permeates us through our music, rock music. And all those people, you know, the music industry, Hollywood... Uh, the mainstream media, you know, big tech, even the intelligence community, these are all siding with this uh, Balaam worship. And it's a result of the rejection of the God of the Bible. For example, I talked about the music industry. Right after we got rid of uh, the uh, prayer in school, you know, in 1962, who, he, who came along after that? Well, it was the Beatles, right? I remember when the Beatles first made their advent, you know, on the Ed Sullivan show. And they were really, you know, they, they were singing all these love songs. I want to hold your hand, you know. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, love, love me do. All these love songs and everything. And then, just a few years later, their music took a darker tune. Why? Because they turned to the Eastern religions. They went to uh, India. They mingled with the Maharishi uh, of uh, Transcendental Meditation, got involved in Krishna music. You know, George Harrison had this uh, song, you know, My Sweet Lord. Oh, that's great. You know, uh, you know, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he wasn't talking about Jesus. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about Lord Krishna, Eastern religions. So their songs reflected this change in worldview and took a decidedly darker tone.
from those love songs there in the beginning, it turn, they turn to songs like Eleanor Rigby, which is just a song, if you listen to the words, a song of hopelessness. Eleanor Rigby is this single woman, cleans up after uh, a wedding and thinks, oh, I want to have my own wedding, you know. And what happens? She never meets that someone. She dies and then it's officiated by Father Mackenzie. Father Mackenzie, you know, gives her funeral. And then they said no one was saved. Nobody came to it and nobody got saved. So it was like a put down of Christianity. And a song of hopelessness. So that led to some statements like what John Lennon, Lennon made, that Christianity was on its way out. And the Beatles were now even more popular than Jesus. Okay, I'm going to try to wrap up here. Final observations. The spirit of the Balaam is nothing more, you know, the more I thought about this, you know, this past week, it's nothing more than the spirit of the world. And the more we exercise the Lord from our society, the stronger that spirit of the Balaam becomes. The Apostle James warns, You adulterous and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself out to be an enemy of God. Paul wrote, that's in James 4.4, 4. Paul wrote in Romans 12 verse 2, he said, be not conformed to this world. Do not let the spirit of Balaam squeeze you into its mold. As uh, J.B., well, he didn't use Balaam, but he used the world. Don't let the world squeeze you into this, its mold. Don't let the spirit of Balaam squeeze you into his, uh, this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? You learn to read the Word and think Jesus' thoughts instead of the thoughts of the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And finally, Jesus himself talked about this too. In John chapter 15, verse 19, this is kind of his last will and testament to his disciples, his final address before going to the cross. He said in John chapter 15, verse 19, he said, If you, disciples, were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, everybody say that, I am not of this world, but I chose you out of this world. Therefore, the world hates you. And persecution, brothers and sisters, I think is coming to the church. And you've got to stand up against it. And Jesus also said in John chapter 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. The peace of God. You want the peace of God, you've got to spurn the spirit of the Balaam in your life. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, <coughs> because I have overcome the world. Amen. And we can overcome the world in our lives too. Yes. We did a whole series on this next uh, verse here, they overcame it. We can overcome. Jesus overcame the world, and we can overcome him too, it too. They overcame him. I mentioned uh, that the him there refers to Satan, but it's more than just Satan. You know, that's talking about the people that were martyred during the Great Tribulation. And it wasn't just Satan that they overcame. They overcame the world system too. Because the world system was demanding that they take the mark of the beast. They overcame the world system by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. The world 
hates the message of the cross and the blood of Jesus. Because they know that if it is true, they are lost for all eternity. They are much more comfortable in thinking that, uh, you know, they probably don't believe in the God of judgment. But if they said, well, if there is a God of judgment, then he's going to, uh, you know, give us a pass, you know, because we're good people. They're going to justify themselves on the basis of their good works, you know. Good works that are ruining children's lives by telling them they're a different gender than what they were born with, and they take all of these puberty blockers and uh, you know even have radical surgery. You know, there's a, there's a uh, lady out there that is suing Kaiser Permanente Hospital because uh, she uh, uh, let them talk in, her into it, and she had her breast removed at age 15. That's just been in the news the last few days. Uh, you know, we're our good works. We let babies born alive due to the uh, uh, abortion, a botched abortion, and we, that's our good works. We just let that poor baby die and don't give it medical treatment. This is the way they think, okay? Another thing is they don't want to admit that their sin was so bad that it caused the very Son of God, his very life, to save them from it. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. And we are all accountable to God, brothers and sisters. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from, those from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, doesn't matter how big you are in this world. If you're lost, you're lost. Because you're going to face God someday. Standing before God and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. So everybody is accountable to God. The dead. What do we mean by the dead? Remember I told you that the Biblical definition of dead or death is separation. When you die physically, your spirit, the immaterial part of you, separates from your body. And then you find out that this physical body that we so often spend so much time working out and beautifying and everything is just an empty shell. And the second kind of death is spiritual death. We are all born spiritually dead. The Apostle Paul said, and you were, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, and you were dead according to your trespasses and sins. So these dead that stand before God, small and great, the current president will maybe be there. I don't mean, I'm not, I'm not judging anybody. You know, we're, we're not to judge people, right? But we are to judge their fruits. God did not appoint me to be your judge, but he did appoint me to be a fruit inspector. And these people that are adhering to these things that I've just elaborated upon, it seems to me that their fruit is all bad. And they're going to stand before God. George Soros is going to be there. Everybody is going to be there. Now, I don't want to leave you without hope because there's two kinds of judgments in the world. There's this one which I just read, what's called the Great White Throne Judgment. And you know what? You don't want to be there because everybody at the Great White Throne Judgment is guilty. 
They died in their trespasses and sins. And every one of them is going into the lake of fire. You know, as you read more. And then there's the other judgment. In fact, I'm going to talk about this more next week. Next week we've got uh, <clears throat> Communion Sunday, right? And we're going to talk about the people that bear forth fruit. The soil of their heart was fertile and they bore fruit. All of us as Christians are going to be judged too at the judgment seat of Christ. Paul wrote, well, you must all appear, all Christians that is, must appear at the judgment seat of Christ. Some of us are going to have more works than others. But all of that, those works are going to be judged according to your motivation. Okay? I'm going to get into that more later on. But you want to be there at the judgment seat of Christ. And it's going to be a, a terrible experience. But it's infinitely better than the other fate. Okay, we'll talk about uh, more about the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, now I want to end up on a higher note. I've gone a little bit long again. Okay, revival. The solution to the problem with the spirit of Balaam is to have a revival. I pray for a revival every day. Yes. Are you praying for a revival? Pray every day, brothers and sisters. Yes. That's the only thing that's going to save this nation if it's not already too late. The only thing that will halt this Baal worship permeating our society today is for God's people to turn wholeheartedly to Him. And again, I pray that it's not too late. The writer at uh, 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by, by name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then from heaven will I hear and forgive them of their sin and heal their land. That's what we need to be doing right now. We need to be standing in the gap every day for our country, brothers and sisters. Because sooner or later it becomes too late. Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 30 and 31. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall, who would stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Therefore, I poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their own deeds upon their heads, says the Lord. Okay, final slide here. I'm not going to read it because uh, we've uh, I'm taken too long already. It's a story when revival, this is the revival that came after it became too late. A new king took over. You know, we were just reading about that in uh, uh, the Wednesday Bible studies here. King, a king arose, Josiah, and, uh, you know, he was only eight years old when he took over. And 16 years went by, you know, uh, and uh, then he said, well, let's, let's, you know, fix the house of the Lord. So they fixed it. They went through it. And among kind of the discarded stuff that was strewn all over the place, they found the book of the law, which was probably the book of Deuteronomy, maybe Deuteronomy 28, which talked about the blessings and cursings, the blessings of God if the people followed Jehovah God with their whole hearts and the cursings if they turned away and served these wicked gods. And Josiah, uh, you know, they read it to him and he tore his clothes. He says, woe is us. This has happened to us. And so they sent in a prophetess and the prophetess told him that because you're, uh, you know, it, the judgment is happening. It's going to happen. It's inevitable now. But because your heart was tender, you know, you're not going to see it uh, befall. And so, the point that I'm making is that it can get to where we've crossed the line. And I pray to God that we have not crossed the line. So pray, brothers and sisters, with all your heart for revival to happen to this nation.
Okay. You know, Monday before last when I picked up that uh, book from Pastor Sandra, you know, borrowed it from her that I'm basing this series on, we were talking about this, you know, of, you know, when the Lord is going to come back and it might be very, very soon. The way things are exploding right now. But she says, I think before it does happen, I think we're going to have revival. So she believes with all of her heart. And let's, let's do the same thing for our lives too. Revival starts with each of us. Amen. And turning, <clears throat> turning to God and standing in the gap. Okay. Let's go ahead and uh, pray. Father, it's a bleak picture that we have right now, the way that our uh, nation just seems to be falling apart, and everybody sees this too, Lord. But Lord God, we know that you are still on the throne, as I've shared many times before. God has everything under control. You have it all under control. Nothing is happening, Lord, that you have not anticipated. And so, Lord, we just want to stand up to you today and we want to say Lord we are on your side and Lord we want to take that position and to stand in the gap Lord take us and use us Lord God Lord uh, I know at the judgment seat of Christ Lord uh, that's what going to be one of the things that we're going to be judged about whether we've produced the works by praying for that revival for our nation and our civilization so, Lord, help us to pay heed to this. We thank you for this, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.